So next week we'll have a, a special speaker on Wednesday night. So this is kind of an introduction to our uh, series on evangelism, people reaching people. But before we uh, pray, I just want to, Dave Bullen just wrote a uh, text to me and uh, wanted to thank everybody for the prayers for Carolyn. He, he just wanted to thank us for our prayers for his wife. Let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll get started introducing our series. Father, we thank you for each one that's come out tonight. Thank you for this place in which we can meet. And Lord, we don't take for granted your provision. And, and Father, we just thank you that uh, we have a roof over our heads, a warm room, and and um, warm hearts to meet together and fellowship around your word and in Christ. And, and Lord, I pray that this series would be very effective in laying on our hearts uh, the purpose for which you have left us here, that being uh, reaching a lost and dying world with the wonderful news of the gospel of Christ. And, and Father, we just pray that as we uh, introduce this series tonight, Lord, we just ask that you would lead and guide in our time. We do pray for Carolyn, Dave, and others in our body, uh, Rosa, uh, think of Carrie, who's dealing with her issues, and, and others, Lord, who are, are ill. Father, we just pray that you would just heal their bodies and uh, give them rest in the meantime, that they would rest in you. And pray that you would open our hearts to your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought I would uh, do a, you know, we do a series on evangelism every couple years, and I thought, uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> it's always an important thing. But before we actually get into into the message, I, I, I kind of want to ask you a question. How many of you, and, and you don't have to be embarrassed about this, how many of you share your faith on a regular basis? Okay? A regular basis, like, you know, you know pr- pretty much daily or weekly. And for those of you that, uh, so you, you see here that a lot of people don't, okay? And that's not meant to be as a guilt trip. That's just the way it is. <laughs> and And my question for you tonight as we open our time is, what are some reasons why you do not share your faith more often? Like I said, this isn't a judgy session. This is just being kind of raw and honest with each other. Why don't we share our faith as believers more often with people? What would you say? There's no wrong answer here. Okay, you work alone? Yeah. Okay. Okay, a lot of people aren't interested. How many would you say you're fearful of sharing your faith? Yeah, it doesn't, it's not something that comes natural to us a lot of times. Anybody else? Right. Yeah, we don't know what to say, right? Fear sometimes of being asked a question. Oh, what if I don't know the answer? You know, you tell me. I don't know the answer, but I know a place where I can find it, right? That's what you do. So as we go into this series, and I I don't know how many weeks this is going to be, but uh, usually we teach through books of the Bible, and so we're we're looking at at some other books to do on, on Wednesday night as well. But as we talk about people reaching people, we're doing also, you know, we just kind of finished up a couple messages on the church and uh, defining what the church is. And tonight I want to look at three things, basically, our mandate, our method, and our model. And these are kind of cursory views. We're going to get into these more and more. I, I think that it's a, it's a good introduction to this subject of evangelism. And, you know, I've been burdened for a long time for just... You know, we live in an area that is, uh, it's not the Bible Belt, let's put it that way, right? <laughs> I mean, if there's people that need the Lord, it's here, right? And sometimes, you know, I look up to heaven and I go, oh God, why did you call me to a church in here in this place? You know, it could have been uh, somewhere else where, you know, there's more Christians and it's just more uh, conservative and on and on and on the excuse goes. And sometimes I, I wrestle with the question, just as, as a pastor of a local church, and I I know Ken does this too as well, I'm sure, what kind of impact as a church are we having on this godless area we live in? You know, uh, they call this peninsula the dark corridor. That's what it's known as spiritually because last time I checked, it's less than 2 or 3% of people go to any house of worship. That includes all the cults, the Catholics, I mean, it's a very, very low percentage. And if you don't believe me, just walk around. If you're not in church on Sunday, where you should be, if you stayed home or, or you're out driving, look around. I mean, people are doing all kinds of things on Sunday morning. They got the soccer field down here is full. You know, they got other things to do. And, and what kind of impact are we having on this society and this area we live? You know, it's great. I mean, we're a mission-oriented church. We send a lot of money to missions, and, and that's wonderful. 
But I think we have to be reminded that, wait a minute, you know, our, our mission field is right here. We have to minister to our own Jerusalem as well. And, you know, really the, the only r- real local uh, kind of outreach currently that we have is the radio station. And I know Michael does some things, you know, outreach. You know, it, it's really burned on my heart. So hopefully down the road, I'm going to be talking with a couple of people to bring a couple of people in to, to lead a couple of these sessions as well that are very skilled in the area of evangelism. They're street preachers, basically. And they know how to get out there and really preach the gospel. And for some, that's kind of like, oh, I'm not going to do that. We don't have to do that. That's a gift that God has called them to do it. But I, I want to make a prediction here tonight as you, we go through this series together. And then I want to make a promise to you. A prediction and a promise. And I think first, I want to describe something significant that will happen in your life if you take some simple, very simple steps in a specific direction when it comes to evangelism. Then I'm going to kind of pledge to give you what you need (laughs) to make sure that that happens. In other words, you know, part of it is having the information. The other part is being equipped to use the information, right? And so here's a prediction. I think if, if we go through this class together, this series on evangelism, and we begin to practice uh, as a church this biblical model that is laid out for us, even if you ease in slowly, you know, you're not going to be out there on the corner, right, with your Bible preaching right away. You're not going to be doing that. You may never do that. That's fine. But if you, if you take the idea that you're just going to accomplish this at a pace that's comfortable for you, with no pressure, no pressure at all. You're going to see remarkable changes in your ability to effectively maneuver and to, in a relaxed and comfortable way, begin conversations dealing with faith in people's lives. Even when they strongly disagree with you to your face, there's ways to work that out in a very comfortable way. And there's a, there's a wonderful book called Tactics, and I'm kind of using that for some of these lessons. And it, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. So that's my prediction. And, and I think that the promise is this. If we make that prediction, we, we want to give you a game plan that will allow you to um, converse, you could say, with confidence, right, when it comes to your faith. A, a lot of people don't have confidence when they talk about their faith. No matter how little you know or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person might be, I think if we put into practice some of the things that we'll learn together, you're going to find out that, wow, this is kind of easy. It's not, it's not difficult at all. But I think to be successful as we go through this, you're going to have to adjust your thinking. You're going to have to adjust your thinking a little bit. Think about this. Before there can be any kind of harvest, right, Before there can be any kind of harvest, there always has to be a season in which people garden. They plant, right? I mean, you can't go out to an empty field without doing any work in the field and harvest time come and go, man, I just can't wait till, hey, you know, here comes the corn. Well, you didn't plant any corn. You didn't do any work. You didn't do any gardening. And so why would you expect there would be a harvest? And, you know, that's a, a, a clear illustration from agriculture. But it's also true in evangelism. And if you turn over to John chapter 4 in your Bibles, John chapter 4, and we're going to be jumping around tonight a little bit, John chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, Jesus himself talked about this, the seasons of growing that precede seasons of reaping. You have to do the work to get the harvest. You have to do the gardening before the plants will grow. And he says in verse 35, John chapter 4, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What he's kind of trying to communicate to us here, before someone ever comes to Christ, there's always, before there's ever a harvest, there's always a season, if you will, where those people are, they may be thinking about the gospel. 
They may be thinking about what they've heard previously. They're mulling it over in their hearts. They're wondering whether what they heard was true or false. They may be putting out little questions, little probes about questions they have. Maybe they were raised in a certain church or something like that. Um, They may even have an, an agenda to fight with you a little bit, okay, when you begin to talk about spiritual things. But still, they're, they're wondering, maybe even secretly, in their, their, their heart of hearts, I really believe this, they're wondering, God, is there really a God? And is he real? And, and when this happens in someone's life, it's an opportunity for us, as believers, to do some of the gardening work. We may not reap the harvest, mind you, but we can definitely turn over a couple spade works of, of soil and uh, get the the soil ready for someone else to come in and and do some more. Francis Schaeffer calls this pre-evangelism, pre-evangelism. You know, I went to a school that basically uh, used a program where you would go out to a college campus and you had all these lists of questions and, and you would go out and you would ask people questions and you would lead them down this path. And the ultimate goal in this program was to allow them or make them Say the sinner's prayer, quote the sinner's prayer, whatever that is. Uh, You don't find it in the Bible anywhere, but they call it the sinner's prayer. I remember the pressure that was on you when you went out to these college campuses. Because, you know, you're talking to college kids. (laughs) They just party, party, party. They don't care about Christ. And so you're trying to engage them spiritually. And some of the kids would engage. And, and, you know, you'd want to get them to that point where, you know, would you like to, would you like to accept Jesus, you know? Would you, would you just say this prayer after me? And and you'd, you'd go down this road with them. And sometimes I felt like, you know, they're just doing it. They're, they're, they're going through the motions. Just leave me alone. Okay, I'll say your little prayer there. Are you happy? Bye. But w- what bothered me was when we got back to the campus, you know, we start comparing notes. And it almost was like, well, how many did you lead to Christ? Well, how many, how many did you get to say this prayer? How many did you? And I thought, wow. You know, at the time, it was like very competitive. Almost like you put little badges on your shirt. Like you were actually the Savior, almost. And I realized that, you know what, my, even later on in ministry, I realized that a lot of my work consisted primarily of gardening, not necessarily harvesting, okay? Uh, as a teacher, you know, you're, you're constantly, you're constantly planting seeds, you're planting seeds, you're planting seeds. You're teaching the Word of God, which is a good thing, okay? But I realized that, what's the, the fruit of that? Hopefully believers are edified. The church is built up. That's what we're called to do. But when I realized that good gardening is the key to a good harvest, then you can kind of stop and, and, and realize that, oh, wait a minute, they, they kind of go hand in hand together. If I could be a better gardener, if I could prepare the soil better, if I could spend more time there, then eventually, biblically, the harvest will come. It's pretty simple when you think about it. But to do that, you have to kind of have the right tools. You know, it's hard to garden hard soil with your fingers. You know, you need, you need tools to do it, right? You need, a, you need a, a spade, you need a hoe, you need a shovel, you need things to break up that, that hard ground. And, and that's what, hopefully, as we go through this together, will give you some of those, those tools. Because there's, there's so much information on evangelism out there. I just think that so many times it's missing the mark it's you know they're selling their program they're not really selling a a biblical mandate and so we're not here to sell anything we just want people to be able to comfortably and honestly and effectively share their faith so to do that though you have to have a way to connect with people right you said you work alone or maybe your your group of people well they're already christians well, then we have to find out ways to effectively connect with those who aren't Christians. You know, Jesus isn't going to give us a pass because, well, sorry, I worked in a closet by myself. Well, you know, I'm sure you're around people. And if you have your little bubble of Christians, but you don't have any non-Christians in there, I don't think we're going to get a pass on that necessarily. He's going to say, well, why didn't you get out there and meet some non-Christians? I mean, we see them every day, do we not? They're all around us. Um, we have to be able to create a bridge from the content of the gospel to the conversation. We have to link 
make a link between the, the, the scholastic aptitude of the spiritual things we know to that relationship. That's what we're really called to do. And so hopefully we can give you these gardening tools as we go through this. And we're going to be looking a little later on at Colossians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there now. But that's kind of going to be the pattern uh, that we're going to follow. And we'll get to that in a couple minutes. You know, I said we're going to look at three things. Our mandate, our method, and our model. And the first thing is our mandate. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. You hear a lot about mandates, right? Nowadays. Everybody's given mandates. Well, we have one in Scripture that shows us clearly really what what we're to do. Look at verse 35. He says, And Jesus went, Matthew 9, verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. I mean, think about that. It doesn't say he healed some disease and some affliction. He healed every disease and every affliction. Wouldn't be a good time to be a doctor. (laughs) There would be no need. Right? I mean, Jesus was supernaturally carrying his healing ministry out in all kinds of different situations and different directions. And, you know, we only have a scant little section of what he did in the Gospels. It says we, all the books in the world couldn't contain everything he did. So it's pretty, pretty in, impressive. But he says when he saw the crowds, and why were there crowds? Because he was healing people. I mean, think about it. If you had the gift of healing supernaturally, and you went up to Sequoia Hospital, and you started going from hospital bed to hospital bed saying, hey, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and you're healed completely. doesn't matter what you had. That's, that's what healing, supernatural healing ministry is. It's not putting up a big tent and picking out a select few of the crowd who have maybe a little soreness in their back and bringing them up, and pretty soon they're doing handstands across the stage. Well, look at that. That's not what it's about. All right. These people, Jesus and his disciples, had the gift of supernatural healing. They, they completely healed people. It wasn't just, you know, uh, oh, you got a broken arm? Okay, that's healed. Well, what about my broken toe? No, that's healed too. All right. That's why, and it was, it was such a gift that was back in the time of Christ and in the new church, the foundation of the church, it was given to them for their authentication in this foundation of Christianity. So if you were to ask me today, do people have the gift of healing today? I would boldly say no. They don't. If you ask me, does God heal today? I would say absolutely. In more ways that we can probably imagine, not only physically, but spiritually, which is even more important. Well, what about all the people that claim to be healers? Well, go figure. Do your homework. So he saw these crowds... All these people were coming because he was healing them. And look at what it says. He had compassion for them because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I mean, that must have just grieved his heart. He's looking at all these people, these hurting people, and he's saying, man, all these people are just there for the picking. But guess what? I don't have any people to pick them. (laughs) My neighbor has an orange tree, and it's not there all the time. And so I picked some oranges the other day, and I thought, boy, you know, they're pretty good. But I thought, if these oranges aren't picked, guess what's going to happen? They're going to fall on the ground. They're going to rot. There's going to be a waste of a perfectly good orange. All right? Well, that's what Jesus is seeing here. He's saying, wow, you know, all these people, uh, you know, all this harvest can be happening, but you know what? The laborers are few. And then he gives a uh, kind of a, prayer thing here he says therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers in to his harvest it's his harvest notice not ours and so we need to be praying that he will send out people ch spurgeon said that verse 38 therefore pray earnestly for the lord to send lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest it said he said wade it weighed on his heart more than any other text in the Bible. He said it haunted him perpetually, thinking that there's this grand harvest and there's not enough workers to take care of it. And so when we stop and we think about our, our mandate, mandate, we have to see three things here. We have to see as Jesus saw. 
We've become a nation that's so divided today, even within the church, it's divided. And we've grown callous to the great need of, of lost people. We really have. I was driving to Costco the other day and going around a little turnabout down there around U-Haul um, off of uh, El Camino and Woodside. And I'm looking and you're seeing all these homeless people there, you know. And I'll just be honest, my first reaction, why don't they clean that mess up? That's disgusting. I mean, these are people who don't have a roof over their head. And, and I'm thinking, wow, wh- wh- is, that, is that what Jesus would do? Now, he also said if you don't work, you don't eat. So, you know, some of those people don't. They're just living off the, the government. But at the same time, we do need to see this great need of lost people. And that's what he says. He says he had compassion on them. Uh, they may have been sick. They may have been disabled. Uh, who knows? But he had compassion on them. You know, his, I don't feel too guilty because in Matthew 14, verse 15, when these crowds approached Jesus, uh, what did the... Um, the disciples basically send these people away, right? That was their attitude. They had no compassion on the crowd. They, they just get, get rid of these people. They're distracting us. But Jesus saw them differently. He, he felt compassion for them. I, I told you this illustration before, so if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, but some of you may not. There's a, a group of researchers who decided to find out if seminary students were good Samaritans. They were all going to seminary, and they met with 40 ministerial students individually under the pretense of doing a study of their uh, careers, their future careers in the church. And so these seminary students were just excited to be part of the study. And each student was instructed to walk to a nearby building and deliver an impromptu talk into a tape recorder. And some of them were told to talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Most of you probably know what the parable of the Good Samaritan is. While others were told to talk about their career concerns and others. And the researchers, <laughs> they planted an actor on their way to this building where they were to give their talk about being a good Samaritan. And as the seminarian would approach, this guy would lay there on the sidewalk groaning and in pain and slump to the ground, hoping <laughs> that someone would help them. And they found out that more than half of the students, mind you, they were getting ready to preach on this Good Samaritan subject, they walked right by him. They stepped over him in a couple cases. And the researchers noted this. Some who were planning their dissertation on the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the slump body as they hurried along. I pray we never get to that point as a church or as people, right? I mean, you can't be a bleeding heart either. I mean, you know, money always isn't the answer to helping these people. But, you know, they're spiritually in need, definitely. And so Jesus saw a great need here of lost people. But he also saw lost people as distressed. In verse um, 37 there, he he points that out. It means troubled or uh, vexed. points out that problems too big for them to bear. We're weighing down on them. And you know what? When you go around today and, you know, if you can see people without their mask and see their eyes and, and see their expressions, the one thing I notice is that, that people are in distress. They may not tell you that, but you can see it in their eyes. They're just stressed out. We're, there's a lot of troubled people today in our society. And Jesus noted that. And he saw, uh, 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 you know, that these people were that. He also saw people as, as dispirited, means downcast or thrown down. It literally means to be helpless or forsaken. Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, if you've never read that book, it's a wonderful book, but uh, you can pick that up and, and read that. It, it describes how sheep can get turned over on their backs, and uh, they're not able to get themselves up again. They just lay there. They're completely helpless. And such sheep, guess what they're called? They're called cast sheep or cast down sheep. And they just sit there and flail in the air. Their feet flail in the air because they can't turn themselves over. And they're just ripe for prey to come along. And, you know, they, they could die in a few hours, a few days, if they're left that way. And, and this is a picture of us, of, of, of those sinners apart from the good shepherd. And, and we need to be able to see that. 
the Lord Jesus Christ sees it that way. I mean, outwardly, your friends who you talk to or your co-workers or whatever, hey, they may look calm, they may collected and comfortable. Um, they may be even successful when it comes to financial wealth and worldly terms. But you know what? Jesus sees their hearts, right? Doesn't the Bible teach us that? Man looks at what? The heart, right? Not just the outward appearance. So don't always believe what people are showing you, even in church. Okay, we got some of the biggest fakers in church. You know, you see it every Sunday. You know, how was your, oh, the week was great, you know. Oh, really? It didn't look too good when you were getting out of the car with your, your family, you know. You guys were yelling at each other. Wow, oh, you saw that, you know. So, you know, we want to be transparent, but we also want to be, we, we want to be real. We want to be transparent. But, but Jesus saw this, and, and so don't always believe when people are putting off this thing. You know, look at them as people who are, are downcast, who are, are dispirited. They may look normal on the outward appearance, but inwardly, Paul describes them in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. They're without hope and without God in this world. Anyone who does not have Christ as their Lord and Savior is without hope and they're without God in this world. Their, their relationship with their creator is broken. It's severed by sin. And that's why Christ came, right? Christ came to live and to die. To die for what? To die as payment for our sins as our savior well jesus saw people also as as sheep without a shepherd he says there uh, so much in that verse um in the the jewish religious leaders went to synagogue and they did all that they should have been pointing them to god and and really taking care of them but they weren't unfortunately Uh, instead they were the bible describes them as self-righteous they were self-seeking they were looking down on the, 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 the common people as sinners. Stay away from me. You know, they wore their priestly robes. And, oh, you know, uh, they, they just had an air about them as, of arrogance. And that's why they condemned Jesus, right? Because he came and he hung around with who? Hung around with the people who were sick and the sinners. I mean, that's who he was interested in reaching. And um, so Jesus saw these people as sheep without a shepherd. And uh, unfortunately, we still have religious people today that are more interested in, in fleecing the flock rather than shepherding the flock. Uh, you see it all the time. And so we need to have that kind of compassion. Well, Jesus also saw the great harvest of, of lost people. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. And this was he just didn't say it here. He said it over and over and over. He said it in, in uh, he told his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 35, lift up your eyes. We just read that. Uh, the, the, the fields are white for harvest. He repeated it again um, as he sent out the 70 for ministry in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He even told the, the, the apostle Paul, who was having a little bit of fear in his heart, preaching in Corinth, and he said in Acts chapter 18, verse 10, he said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. There was a harvest there waiting to be reaped. And so Paul was oh, obedient to that. Um, see, the harvest, you have to understand this, and this is where some of the relaxation comes in when you share your faith. The harvest does not depend on your technique. It, it doesn't depend on that. What does it depend on? The harvest depends on God's sovereign purpose. It's focused on God. He has a planned harvest already. Whether you participate in it or not, the harvest is coming in. And he calls us to get involved as reapers of that harvest. That's what, he, that's what the mandate is, is to really get us involved that way. And so when we, when we don't do that, we practically deny the truth of Jesus' words. When we look at our friend and we say, ah, I'd like to share the gospel, but there's no way that person would ever come to Christ. Have you ever said that? I've said that about people. I'm not even going to go there with that person, you know. 
And, and we just, we don't, we don't believe that God can change their heart. We don't believe that God can save them, even though he saved us. <laughs> and so it's, it's very important um, that we, we don't have that mindset. Because when we do, we're really making Jesus out to be a liar. If we don't believe that in our heart of hearts, that he can change a person. And also the other thing I think that, that pops into our minds sometimes is we think that, well, if I bring it up, you know, they're just going to be so offended. You know, it's not, it's not right to talk about spiritual things. I mean, how do you know that? Can you read their mind? You don't know that. Um, Jesus said, right here, we're reading it, the harvest is plentiful. There's people out there that are lost, but they know there's something broken. There's something wrong, and they want the truth. They, they want to hear the truth. And unfortunately, the church has been dumbed down, and they've been muzzled, to the degree where they, they wouldn't share it with them if, if they could. Um, it's God's job to open hearts to the gospel. It's his job. It's not mine. That's what I mean. When you start to begin to understand that, what happens? You realize, wow, this isn't on me. I'm just, I'm just the, the message. You know, it's like, it's like if you had a restaurant, right, and, and you were the cook, there would be a lot of pressure in that, in that kitchen cooking food for dignitaries or whoever would come into your, your restaurant. But you know what? If you're the waiter, what are you doing? You're just taking the food <laughs> that, the, that the cook cooked, and you're taking it to the table, and you're saying, here, here's your wonderful meal. I mean, if they don't like it, you may not get your tip, right? But it's not on you because you didn't cook it. You didn't cook it. And, and when we share the gospel, if people reject the gospel... They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting who? They're rejecting God. They're rejecting Christ. And so we need to be reminded of that. In, in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, sharing the gospel here, it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. You probably know this story. From Thyatira. She sold purple goods, it tells us in verse 14. And she was a worshiper of God. Acts 16, 14. She was a worshiper of God. And look at what it says at the end of that verse. It says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now think about it. This is the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. Very educated. He used to be a Pharisee. I mean, he, he was very well spoken. He was very educated. But you know what? He didn't open up her heart. It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. So even Paul, with all his oratory skills and his preaching skills, couldn't have opened up her heart. He needed to depend on the Lord. See, it's our job to go out into the harvest field and to seek to reap a crop. That's all we're called to do. God will provide the harvest for us. And Jesus saw here this great need for workers in the harvest. He says the laborers are few. Uh, He kind of changes up the metaphors here. First, he used the metaphor of sheep, right? Sheep without a shepherd. But now he's talking about this harvest deal. And these two metaphors really are meant to show two sides of the same the matter. The sheep and the shepherd show man's need met by God. The good shepherd seeks out lost sheep and ministers to them. That's what the biblical principle is here. But the harvest and the workers show what? God's need met by man. God uses saved people to save other people. It doesn't happen in a bubble. What does Paul say? How will they hear without a what? A preacher. Right? I mean, they, they need to hear the gospel. And he's given us the mandate to go out and share the gospel with those who've yet to hear it. So Jesus' viewpoint here is that of a farmer who has a great crop ready for harvest But he doesn't have anybody to bring in the harvest. He doesn't have enough reapers. On one hand, the Lord will accomplish all of his, what he purposes to do. All of his elect will be saved. Ephesians 1, 3 to 11 tells us that. And yet at the same time, somehow God brings these two together. He has chosen to save lost people through those whom he has already saved. That's that's his agenda. I mean, he could have used angels to share the gospel with other people. Uh, They probably would have been a lot more competent than we are, (laughs) being that they're holy creatures. 
But what did he do? He chose us. And so the, the, the plenty of a harvest means that there is a great need for more workers. There's, there's got to be more that Christians can do to get the gospel out. Here's the kicker here. If, if you're one of Jesus' sheep, he wants you to see yourself as a worker in his harvest. It's not by accident that the very next thing in Matthew's gospel is for Jesus to summon the twelve and what? Appoint them to ministry. That's what he does. And up to this point, Jesus has done all the ministry. He's done everything. And now he's saying, here, now it's up to you guys. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going back to my Father in heaven. And so he gets his disciples involved. And, and maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, well, I'm not called to full-time ministry. Who's talking about full-time ministry? That's nothing to do with full-time ministry. The workers in the Lord's harvest are not just those in so-called full-time ministry. They're any Christian who has tasted the goodness of God's salvation and has come to Christ, it's, they have a responsibility to share that faith with others. You've heard the saying, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. That's basically what we're doing as believers. And Jesus wants us to open our eyes and see this harvest that's all around us, especially here in the Bay Area. So we need to be like our Savior. We need to see this this what Jesus saw. But we also need to feel what Jesus felt. Verse 36, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. It means down in his gut, in his inward parts, uh, he really felt for these people. He, he wasn't callous toward them. Uh, he didn't blame them for the mess they were in. He could have, but he didn't. Rather, he felt compassion. And, and just ask yourself, do you feel compassion for sinners? And if we do, why do we shrug them off? <laughs> well, they're in that condition, that's their own fault. You know, uh, I read about a bold pastor who began his sermon this way. I'd like to make three points today. First, there are millions of people around the world who are going to go to hell. Secondly, most of us are sitting here and we don't give a damn about it. Then he continued. My third point is that you are more concerned that I, your pastor, said the word damn than you are about the millions of people going to hell. Point well taken. We need to feel as Jesus felt. And then thirdly here, we need to do as Jesus did. What did he do? He ministered to people's spiritual and physical needs. That's what he did. He cared for people. He prayed for more workers. Uh, he enlisted us to pray for more workers. So that's our mandate. Secondly, our model, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're, we're called to be ambassadors. What's an ambassador? What does an ambassador do? Represent somebody, right? Um, if you're an ambassador to Russia from the, from the United States, you go and you represent the United States on behalf of the United States in Russia. You actually live there amongst the people. You're not a citizen there. You're just an ambassador. And so it's, it's important that we understand that that is our role here on this earth. We are ambassadors for Christ. You know, the Bible, and we sing songs and everything, but the Bible makes it very clear that we should set our affections, our minds on what? Things above. Why? Because this world is not our home, right? It, we're just passing through, we say. Uh, we're here as an ambassador Christ. We're representing Christ. And there's basically three skills here, quickly, uh, that an ambassador, ambassador is required to possess to do their work effectively. Um, first of all, a basic knowledge. You have to have an informed mind if you're going to be an ambassador for Christ. They have to know the central message of God's kingdom, of the gospel. They have to understand how to respond to obstacles that come in their way as they're uh, representing Christ on their mission. But it's not enough just to have an accurate, informed mind. You can't just have the facts. We've seen people sometimes who have just all the facts of the gospel, right? And they go out and they try to share it with people, and it's a complete disaster. I mean, they, they turn off more people than they ever went to Christ. Right? They actually make enemies. So just having the right message is not all that there needs 
to be. Secondly, you have to have tactical wisdom. Tactical wisdom. You have to have an artful method. You have to have an understanding of how people work. You have to understand how to communicate with people. You have to understand when people are, are, are acting a certain way, you've probably said too much. The problem is, is that Christians have this mindset of closing the deal. You know, you go out there and I'm going to win that co-worker to Christ. So, okay, let me tell you. Here's, and you start in on your spiritual thing and they're like, yeah, I, I got to I got to go. No, wait, wait, wait. You know, you need to pray this. And that's what we've done. And they just think we're nuts. Right? And we've probably all done this in our Christian walk, especially when we're new believers. You know, we probably make more enemies than we do converts because we, we, we have all zeal, right? And zero amount of wisdom. No wisdom whatsoever. And so we have to have this tactical wisdom. You have to have knowledge. You have to have the basics of the gospel down. But you also have to temper that knowledge with some wisdom, with some godly wisdom that makes our message clear and makes it persuasive. Uh, you don't want to turn people off to the gospel. And so that requires tools that a diplomat would possess, not tools of a, of a warrior going to battle. And that's our mindset sometimes. We have to have tactical skill rather than just brute force. And that's what we've used for a lot of times, brute force. We're going to talk people into Christ. We're going to make them accept Christ. You can't make someone accept Christ. You, you can't make someone a Christian. That's not your role. And so we have to have that wisdom. And then thirdly, you have to have exemplary character, you know, an attractive manner. You know, sometimes the way people share their faith is just a complete turnoff to people. You know, it's a complete turnoff. First of all, they look at their life and they go, well, wait, you're telling me I'm, in your life, you know, I see what you do. You go to church on Sunday and then you live like the rest of the world the rest of the week and now you want me to follow your God? I don't think so. So we have to have our act together spiritually uh, because that can really make or break your mission when you're out there sharing Christ. So knowledge and wisdom are packaged in a person. But if that person doesn't embody the same virtues that the sovereign God that they serve has, uh, they're going to handicap all their efforts. You know, it's, it's like having a uh, trainer. Say you hire a trainer. You know, he's going to come into your backyard and he's going to train you for six weeks and you're going to lose all this weight and, oh, you're just going to be in the best of shape. And you pay this guy a lot of money and he shows up the first day and he's got bag of McDonald's Big Macs, and he weighs about 500 pounds. I mean, you're going to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're going to be training me, right? I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. So, you know, character goes a long way when you're, when you're sharing your faith. And so three skills, knowledge and informed mind and, and wisdom, all those things and character have to be really part of, of that. The second one there, the wisdom, is really what we're going to focus on in this series. We want to give you the tools to understand how to tactfully and tactically share your faith in a way that you don't feel defeated, that you can actually walk away from a conversation even though that person, quote, didn't come to Christ or didn't pray a prayer. But you can walk away going, you know what? I did my part. You know, I did my part. And so here's where we... We begin. And, and strategy, we have to understand, strategy and tactics are different. Strategy and tactics are different. Strategy involves the big picture. You know, how, how's this going to work? The large-scale operation, you might say. Um, you're, you're positioning before you even engage with somebody. You have to come up with a strategy. Well, what, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, if I, if I know I'm talking to somebody who's not a believer and they're really into old cars. And I know that because I'm observing in the garage, he's out there working on his old car, and he's got a 57 Chevy, and he's got this, and he's got that, and he's just really into it, and he goes to car shows, and he does. I'm not going to walk over there and, you know, start talking to him about Legos. Okay, that wouldn't make any sense. You know, he's not going to be interested in Legos. He's interested in old cars. So I'm, I'm going to try to engage him at that level. So maybe I have to do a little homework. And so that's the, 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 big, the big picture, all right? And, and so our strategic advancement includes two areas. They call it offensive apologetics, offensive apologetics, which makes a positive case 
for our faith in Christ. It offers reasons to support our view. Why do we believe Jesus is the Savior? We give evidence for, the, 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 uh, for God and for creation and for the resurrection of Christ and the inspiration of the Bible, for example. And, and we've done our homework and we kind of have the gist of that information in our head. That's offensive apologetics. But there's also an area called defensive apologetics. And that answers specific challenges that people bring up that are meant to disprove Christianity. Uh, you respond to attacks about the historical reliability of the Word of God, the Bible. Or you might, um, someone might say, well, I don't believe in creation, I believe in evolution, or whatever. They bring up all this stuff, okay? You have to have some information in your brain about that. You don't have to have a lot, because a lot of these things we're going to find out are just a shower curtain up there so that you don't really see what's going on in the person's heart. They just raise this issue to kind of get you off the message of what we really want to talk about, and that's the gospel. And so the strategic element focuses on content. It focuses on content. And when you look at books that are written on defending Christianity, and there's a lot of them out there, a lot of good books, all these authors basically take that approach. They deal very decisively with every imaginable challenge to classic Christianity. And yet, you can read through those books and you still have feel like an inferior person when you go out and share your faith. Why is that? Even though you have all this information, okay, why do you still feel inferior? Why do you have this complex? It might, not, it might be because you weren't exposed to that information before or maybe you lack the, the first skill of a, of a good ambassador to that knowledge, okay? But I think there's something else. Even a, even a lawyer will tell you that it takes more than just facts to make your case in court. I mean, facts are important, but you're going to have to have more than that. You have to know how to use your facts. You have to know how to use your knowledge. And so there's a, there's a way that you can manage dialogues with people and conversations. And that's where the, the tactical game comes in. That's where hopefully some of these gardening tools will get you involved in, in conversations with people where God, you're praying, will open up that door for further spiritual discussion. And you don't have to feel pressured to uh, close the deal, as it were. It requires patience on your part. Um, you know, there used to be a coffee shop across the street. There still is, but there's a different one. And I used to go over there every day, every morning, except Sundays. I'd be down there and talking to different people in the coffee shop and, and you know, just patiently waiting. And usually it would come, you know, somebody would come in and, Maybe they're having a difficult marriage. Maybe they're having this. Hey, aren't you a pastor? Yeah, yeah. And they sit down and they say, well, here's my situation. What do you think? You know, and I'd start talking to them. And eventually I would be able to share the gospel with them. That's what my goal was. But it requires patience. Now, I could have said, you know what, this is a waste of time. You know, I don't think this guy's ever going to come to Christ. Well, what am I doing then? And I'm trampling on Jesus' words saying, well, wait, no, there is a harvest out there. There are people out there that that really are seeking. Uh, I ran into a, a guy at the grocery store here at Key Market, I haven't seen in a while because the coffee shop closed and COVID and everything. We, we saw each other and he recognized me. I didn't recognize him and he pulled his mask down. I thought, oh, I, I know who you are. And so we started talking. And um, he was telling me about his family and he's having a hard time. And so I was able to kind of point him in the direction of some counseling materials and stuff like that and, and invite him to church or whatever. And still hasn't come. But you know what? You never know. You just never know. You continue to pray. You continue to kind of lay it out there. And so we, we see the, the method that we're going to be using. But then lastly here, the model. The model. Uh, in this uh, Colossians, <laughs> finally get there. Chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Paul writes this. Um, Colossians 4, 5 to 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's three elements here that I just want to close off with. First of all, I think Paul is saying here, simply be smart about it. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Uh, make the most of every moment. Don't, don't burn the bridge before you cross it. Uh, watch your steps. Watch your language. Come in slowly. Come in under the radar. Be shrewd. 
you know, you, you don't need to go out and, and shout at people. You're, if you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. Well, that may be true, but that's not really going to win a conversation with that person. And, and so we have to be smart about that. Secondly, he says, be nice. You know, he, he says, making the best use of your time. Let your speech, what? Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Does that mean we compromise the truth? No, that doesn't mean that. You know, you can be very gracious with people and, and still be firm. There's a lot of different illustrations of that. But, it, you know, we don't need to be rude with people. And a lot of times the rudeness comes when we feel like we're being attacked because we haven't seen them as sheep without a shepherd laying on their back, flailing in the air. We see them as somebody who's our enemy, and they're out to get us. I've said this before many times. The people that do not know Christ are not our enemy. They are not our enemy. They are victims of the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. We need to be smart. We need to be polite. We need to be nice. Always leave something on the table when you're speaking with someone about their faith or about your faith even. Don't feel like you have to give them it all in this one conversation. You know, should you be able to share Christ in a two to three minute period with somebody? Yes. I mean, maybe you're on a, a bus or maybe a taxi cab, or whatever, you only got so much time, an Uber, whatever it is, and you only got so much time to, to do this. Well, then you got to kind of get it in there. But once again, realize that maybe you're just a little link in the chain of them coming to Christ. You're, you're not the, the complete deal. You're not the, the answer. A lot of times people come to our church and, and, and some, some people will come as unbelievers and uh, maybe they're married to a spouse that's a believer and they end up coming to church. They fall in love with the church and hang out here for several years and, you know, we're all praying for that person to come to Christ, you know, that husband or that wife, whatever it is. And then inevitably, you know, they move on and, you know, your God just goes, oh, they didn't, they didn't make a commitment. You know, I wish, you know, and then it's like God's just keeping us humble because usually Sometimes it's a couple weeks, sometimes it's a couple months, sometimes it's a couple years. You get a phone call, guess who came to Christ? <laughs> you know, and they attended another church, and, and that's where they came to Christ. Well, that's okay, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Would we want them to see, see, come to Christ here? Sure. But we're just a chain, in the, or a link in the chain. We're not, we're not the whole thing. So be smart, be, be nice, and then be tactical. Um, notice what he says there, so that you may know how you ought to answer what? Each person. Each person. Take interest in each person. Because every circumstance is different. Every circumstance is different. If, if you try to share your faith with somebody and they're a complete idiot to you and a complete jerk, you don't know what, first of all, you don't know what kind of day they've had. You don't know what kind of life they've lived. You don't know what kind of hurt they've felt. You don't know what they've gone through that brought them to this, this point. And you're, you're just the dumping ground of all this. You know, we don't need to take it personally. Because when we take it personally, then we, well, let me tell you, you know, then that's, that's where the rudeness comes in, right? Because we feel justified in being rude to somebody like that. No, we need to be tactical. We need to adjust our conversations to each individual. We need to tailor our comments to every situation. Because every circumstance is different. Every person is unique, and they're not, just a, they're not just all sinners. Every person is someone who God created, and they're lost, and they're on their way to hell. And we need to treat them that way. We need to treat them like God cares about them, because we care about them. So we initiate conversations in a way that doesn't seem weird. Well, we don't need to do that. We want to initiate conversations that protect us from getting trapped, or getting in over our heads. We're going to share how to do all that. Um, but how do we keep from feeling foolish or making the gospel look foolish? Because there's a lot of that going on out there. Well, you need a method and you need a, a, a game plan. You can't go out there just willy-nilly and say, yeah, I'm just going to go try to share my faith. You know, you have to do some research. You need, have to do some homework. And one simple way to, to go about this is it says there as though seasoned with salt. Each encounter that we have with someone who doesn't know Christ is a, a specific individual and it's unique. And we can either make it or break it in our dealing with them. Uh, we don't want to turn people off to the gospel. We want them to be open to it. 
So sometimes that means if people are pressed for time, leave it on the table. Okay, hey, you know what, if you want to talk about this again, uh, let me know. And just walk away. You don't have to close the deal. And that takes all the pressure off. Because you're just, you're just the message boy. You're just bringing the message. If they don't like the message, okay, I'll go to somebody else. Because I know there's a harvest out there that's ready to be, to be uh, harvested. And God wants us to be part of that. So be smart, be nice, be tactical. Just look to do a little gardening in their lives. Think of it that way. You're not there to plant the whole crop. You're just there to break up some, some, some rough ground and, and to really ask the Lord to help you plant some seed in that. If we can do just that, then we can get them thinking. And maybe it's something they said. Maybe it's something we said. The next time we run into that person, I was thinking about our conversation. This happened to me time and time again. And sometimes we just need to be able to, to leave it there. We don't need to try to hit the home run every time. We don't even have to worry about getting on base, to be honest with you. That's all, that's all God's work. All we need to do is get in the batter's box and have kind of a, a game plan, a tactical game plan uh, that will help us do this in an effective way that, that honors the Lord. And then what do you do? Then you sit back and you let God do his work. Because it's God is the one that, that converts. It's God that changes people's hearts. And, you know, I, I just want to uh, read out of Ephesians 1 because it, it reminds us of our own salvation and, and what Paul says about this. And with this, we'll close. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Um, we'll start in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Look at this, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You know, it, it's so much emphasis on God doing this work for us, in us. You know, we didn't save ourselves. We're not going to save anybody else. It's our goal mainly to have a credible way to share the message of the gospel with those who've yet to hear. And I just want to say, if you're here tonight and you've, you've yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ, um, you know, I pray that you've done your homework. I pray that you know um, that you've investigated Christ, that you've looked to Christ, uh, that you've read the Bible. A lot of times you'll talk to people who don't know, they're not religious, they don't know Christ, and ah, yeah, that Bible, they never read it. You know, I, I challenge you, take the Gospel of John and read through it prayerfully. Ask God to do a work in your heart as you read it. Ask Him to show you that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to save you for your, from your sins, and he died in your place. And, and you know, that's, that's the, the gospel in and of itself. And so we just need to be um, effective at sharing that message with others and also be, be willing to, to do so. And so hopefully, as we go through this time, we'll, we'll be giving you the tools to do that. So I hope you're excited. Don't feel overwhelmed. 
We're not going to drag you out in the street and make you preach on the corner or anything. But uh, it would be neat if you, if you really apply, I think, what we learned together, you'll see a big change in your approach to our evangelism. Amen? All right, let's close in a word of prayer, and then we can just have some conversation. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place on Calvary. And, and Lord, we know that um, we can't save ourselves. There's no hope of that. Um, we know that we need a Savior because we've all sinned. We've all done something wrong at some point in our lives. And Lord, we know that you have provided a way out of this mess that we live in. Um, you've, you've provided a way out of this pit of sin that we find ourselves in. And, and Lord, that's through your Son, uh, God, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would uh, keep us mindful of that as we share the gospel with others. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, that they would be willing to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. I acknowledge my sin before a holy God, and I, I do need a Savior. And I, I want to follow Christ. I want to believe that he is that Savior, and that he did die and pay for my sins and rose on the third day. And Father, he, we know that if that comes from a sincere heart, that you will, will save that soul. You will change that person. And Father, we just thank you. Pray you just bless our time and our tables and as we fellowship. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you.